Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. So welcome yes. everybody to our practice manager um, webinar. We're delighted to be with you again. We don't think it's going to be a very long one today, but you may have other ideas and you may have lots of questions for us. So we'll see where we go with that. So we've got um, Lisa Harding and Michelle Lombardi with us, our directors of primary care today, and Dawn Childcraft, our assistant director of primary care. So it's a cracking team today. And we've just got a few things, as I say, on the agenda. So we're going to start, um, start off with talking about ICSs, Michelle, which is... Um, Yes, quite a sort of a big topic, but we're just going to dip our toe in the water today, aren't we? We are. So integrated care systems. We thought we'd, um, we'd like, like Louise says, dip our toe in the water with this one, because this is a massive topic and actually is really important that general practice is aware of. So um, just so that uh, practices are aware, last week the Health and Care Bill had royal assent. So therefore, this means that the implementation of ICSs will go ahead as planned on the 1st of July. Um, I think there is much information being published around this at the moment, and therefore it's, a, it's evolving as more information becomes available. And I think it's interesting, there's been many different interpretations of the guidance that's coming out, which is then having a knock-on effect of how that's then implemented. So the principles of an ICS is really to bring the health and care sectors together, focusing on the population they serve and to um, have a more of a system approach to the uh, care of a population. So currently, um, CCS, sorry, currently CCGs are GP membership organisations, um, whereas ICSs will be more of a system approach with a wider system, including primary care, secondary care, community care, local authorities, fire, police, uh, to name a few. And so it's much wider view than what we're currently working in. So I think it's important to be aware of that. I think some of the terminology you may hear in associations with ICSs are the integrated care boards, so ICBs. Having said that, different areas are calling them different things, place-based partnerships, neighbourhoods. And we're just um, giving you a taster uh, of a podcast that's been recorded by um, a couple of our colleagues, so Dr. Andy Purbrick and Dr. Ed Rendell. And we're just editing that currently. So that should be up on our website this week, Louise. I think it's really important to, to it's almost a starter for tennis, an intro to ICSs. Um, sorry, Louise, I can see you shaking your yeah, you're yeah, No, yes. we are trying to. We're just editing it at the moment. It's just a complex subject and we want to make it as streamlined as possible, but we just don't have all the information. Um, so we're just listening to it now and it's absolutely, but we'll put out what we've got um, and, and that should be at probably at the beginning of next week. Thanks, Louise. So it's really just to start the conversation with practices around this to make you aware that this is coming and that it's important to be aware of because it does it potentially significantly changes how um, the system works together and making decisions around what services are uh, commissioned uh, for a population. Uh, so that will be available next week and uh, we will, I'm sure, circulate that in our newsletter that's due to go out this week. So you'll have the link for that. Thanks, Michelle. And one of the things that um, Andy and Ed talked about on the podcast was um, representation and how important it is that the LMC is just trying to find out where it's where it, the best place we can sit within those new ICS systems to um, to get the best possible influence over for, for primary care. And they're all going to be different. In So we work with four different systems. Um, so we're just trying to get that right. Um, and that's that's just an ongoing process at the moment. So thanks, Michelle. That was just a taster. We know it was short and brief, but it's just to get you sort of used to the words that some, some of you might be aware. Some of you might know loads more about it than us, and that's absolutely fine. But um, we just wanted to make sure we just start the conversation with you on that. So Lisa, I think we're going to talk about online access now, please. 
Thanks, Louise. And we covered this about a month ago, so I won't go into quite as much detail as we did last time. It was just really um, to keep it fresh in our minds because, as I'm sure everybody realises, there was um, a plan that patient online access to their GP medical records was going to go live as of April 2020, well, from, from the beginning of the year, from April. Um, that was delayed, and we've now had confirmation that it will go ahead in the summer is what they're saying, but the practices will be given two months notice before the go live date. Um, so that's the latest information that we have. Um, just in terms of a reminder around what the obligations are, what that uh, means in practice, um, there is actually already an existing obligation, contractual obligation, which was introduced in 2020 um, for practices to offer prospective access to all their patients, unless obviously there are some exceptional circumstances around sensitivities or safeguarding issues. Um, if the patient requests access to their full record, the practice is required to provide it with the normal safeguards. Um, and there is redaction software in place including systems like IGPR, but there have been some, um, it's not un uniformly used or, um, or or commonly funded by CCGs. So there were lots of, lots of concerns that were raised by practices across the country, by LMCs, by the GPC. Um, and I think that contributed to the delay. I think there were other agencies such as the Royal College that had some concerns. They're updating their online toolkit, which I believe is, is yet to be up, uh, published as the updated version. So we have now a delay. Um, however, it is still coming. So we just really wanted to be, keep people informed around that. Um, we know that um, the, the same obligations will be in, in place. So once it does go live, patients will see information once it's filed on the clinical record. Um, access will, there will be functionality to allow for the access to be denied or removed in exceptional, exceptional circumstances. Um, it's only going to be applicable to the GP record, not to other health service records. Um, once that, that it is live and on downloading the, the NHS app, patients will be able to see their information. It's not a question of the practice switching it on. And they will be able to see coded information, free text, consultations and documents. Um, so um, whilst those those concerns are being worked through, we still have a little bit of a delay, but we still need to start planning. So we are um, staying in contact with the NHS um, D team to make sure that we get um, information and updates as they come out. Um, we've offered as an LMC to be a sounding board. So if anybody has particular experience that they'd like us to feedback or concerns, we're really happy to do that. Um, and there are some uh, webinars that NHSD are running, both for practice staff um, and CCGs. And I will pop that those links within the chat. I did notice that they're running a, a webinar for practice nurses later in May. So I'll put the link for that one in as well, because that might be of interest. We have also asked that they perhaps run some webinars for ARS staff, because we think it's important that they're informed of the programme too. So I'm hoping they'll pick up on that and they're going to keep in touch with us. So it's really just a refresher, just to remind people that it's still happening. We've got a bit of a, a breathing period, but we'll update people as we hear more, um, particularly around World College information and information from NHSD. 
Thank you, Lisa. And we have done some two very brief um, little videos, one for TPP users and one for EMIS users. Those are for clinicians. And this is showing um, the clinicians how to redact information so it isn't visible to the online record. So do have a look at our website for that. And also just at the Practice Manager Conference, which is coming up the 9th of um, June, we're going to have an information governance sessions. And what we've asked of the trainers, they produce three sheets that you can walk away with. One sheet saying, this is what staff need to know one sheet saying this is what patients need to know and one sheet saying this is what clinicians need to know. Because we feel that there's, there's the three different groups that we're just trying to juggle at the moment, trying to manage. And um, we just hope that's going to be useful for you. So do keep an eye on that. Um, it's an ongoing, difficult, difficult subject. It's complicated. Um, we've got Adam Tuckett coming, who's come a few times to these webinars coming next time, 25th of May. He's going to talk about the opt-out press, which is another thing altogether. So we're just going to try, try and keep you as informed as we can, but we do know it is quite overwhelming. Um, and just sort of a, just one question in saying um, to Lisa, will patients be able to see their information from the 1st of April 2022 or from the new date? So it's from the new date. Obviously, some patients would have already requested access. So on a sort of individual basis, it might be the practices have considered individual access and allowed it. But in terms of the um, sort of blanket introduction, if you like, that's happening from the new go live date. Um, we did have some concerns raised with us via Caroline, actually, who's coming to the practice manager conference around TPP, but she's looking into those. Um, so I'm sure she'll give us an update at the practice manager web uh, conference. Yes, that's Caroline Sims is going to come to the practice manager conference. So we work with Caroline Sims and Adam Tuckett. They're both very good at information governance and they understand practice very well. And it's really helpful to have them both those two um, experts to work with. Just one other question, Lisa, that's come in. We have a number of patients who think EG lab results immediately um, rather than waiting until the clinicians who I think they, they're seeing the lab results immediately um, rather than waiting until the clinicians reviewed them. Can something mm. be alerted to patients as practices need time to review the results properly and not to rush? And this is something that has been brought up. I don't know what, yeah. what are NHSD is saying about this. Um, so, so that concern has been raised with them. I think there is a little bit of information in the FAQs that they've published. So um, I think they're suggesting that every practice needs its own protocol and process to ensure that they have some sort of risk management process around that so that um, patients don't necessarily see um, results of concern or that might alarm them before the clinician has had a chance to contact the patient. But I think it still remains a risk. So yes, there might be something around awareness raising of patients to say that, um, you know, there may be a little bit of a delay um, and that that's okay. You know, the practice is processing the results, but actually it may be more appropriate for a clinician to talk to them first. You can't prevent the patient seeing the results. If the results in the record, the results in the record, isn't once, it? Yeah, once they've been filed, yeah. the patients will be able to see them. Yeah. I think Dawn's going to come in with a bit more I detail. Think Dawn, do come in. There was two points. Yes, exactly what you've just said about them being filed. So it will depend upon how the practice actually sets themselves up in their clinical system and how they deal with results coming in and when and how they're filed. But one thing that might be helpful for practices is NHSD will help you set up a dummy patient in the NHS app. So if you have a dummy patient in your clinical system already, I know some have got Barney Rubble and Minnie Mouse and all the rest of it, um, you can set up similarly a dummy one in the NHS app on, on any desktop or anything in the practice that you choose to use. Uh, and then you can see what 
happens when you you know, make a change in a clinical system, you'll be able to see what the patient will or won't see in that NHS app. And, and actually, that might be quite helpful to use something like that. I think that would be great, Dawn. So how does somebody do that? Who contact and how do they do it? Okay, um, we've got the link for that. But I mean, if you want to get in touch, please do ask. We have got the link. It's on our online access, uh, medical online access record page. Um, it, it sits in there, the link. It's on NHS Digital. Um, but if anybody would like the link, happy to provide it separately. No problem. Thank you, Don. That's really helpful. Michelle? I think the other thing to say, I think one of our practice managers, I think Jenny Dock shared with us their application form when uh, for patients accessing online access. I know that that's changing, but she had there is a message on there, I believe, that says you may see information before it's been reviewed by a clinician. It's not ideal, but it's almost raising their awareness that when you do provide access, that 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 could happen and it's not obviously there won't be an application process uh with with the new with the new switching on but it might be worth considering looking at that and putting something on your website just to raise that this could happen it's inevitable with sadly with with it being the way it is lovely thank you very much for that um, michelle that's useful question about something completely different but we are here to answer all sorts of questions and one is just coming about cqc have you got any updates about cqc visits and are they doing more sites than face-to-face are they coming virtually do we have any information at the moment lisa i had one query so i i contacted cqc about a month ago and michelle and dawn might also have updates so i know that they're doing the telephone uh reviews and i asked a question around where would they normally undertake um, visits and they came back to me to say if there were concerns raised via a telephone interview then potentially they would come out and visit the practice so that may may happen in in unusual circumstances I think but it can, it can happen. So and one that someone just put in we've just been visited so when there has been there are visits our visits are happening so thank you Susie for that. Um, back to online access. What if a patient cannot access the NHS app but want their medical records? Do we still follow a process for them to request under the under the SAR? So SARS still remain a route for patients yeah. to, to use if they wish to. So yes, that still remains in place and uh, there is still an obligation to provide that information um, and you still can't charge for it. Although, as you may remember, I'm looking to Dawn and Michelle, there is still uh, a sum of money within the contract this year to, I think, recognise the additional workload there. But the hope is that by switching on the NHS app, those requests will diminish. But of course, not everybody is tech savvy um, and not everybody will want to use that mechanism so they can still request their information via SAR. Great. So that was really useful. Thank you for your contributions, everybody. It's always helpful to get hopefully all the the information that you need um, for you. And as I say, I'm sure we will come back to this subject. Um, We have, um, yeah, we've been launching something this week, haven't we, Dawn? I think you're going to talk about um, about, um, our new system. Yes, thank you, Louise. I'm smiling. GPAS, I love it. Um, okay, so yes, it's been just 24 hours since we launched and sent out our first go live email, um, inviting everybody to um, uh, complete the online form or survey um, for GPAS, our alert system, which is hopefully going to build up some data for us um, so that we can um, assess ourselves against or and the OPAL system, give ourselves a standardised comparison to the OPAL assessment system that everybody is more familiar with, particularly in secondary care. So we have had a fantastic response in those 24 hours, which is super. Um, And thank you for those that have done that. 
if you haven't been able to do it yet, um, you have got until 4pm tomorrow when the survey closes. And for those listening to the podcast, tomorrow is actually Thursday, the 12th of May this week. Um, So if you can do it before then, we would be extremely grateful because we will need to get to 50% minimum uh, for data quality purposes so that we can produce um, a SIP rep to send out to each of our stakeholders in each of your respective areas. Um, I think there's uh, one of our areas is, is nearly there. So that's really, really great. Now, we do understand that there are some other demand and capacity tools out there in, in our various areas being utilised by CCGs or some CCGs are in the process of setting uh, something similar up. Um, however, I think it's a good time to say that GPAS is a support tool. Um, it will help a r- raise awareness within systems of what's going on in primary care um, rather than perhaps, shall I say, being a monitoring tool. Um, and we believe that this will be um a kind of soft intelligence um, that will be complementary to those uh, other demand and capacity tools that are out there. Um, and also, of course, GPAS is being rolled out nationally by LMCs across uh, across the country over the next, um, I say, year, hopefully by the end of this year. So GPAS will be a national standardised format um, that will be recognisable um, uh, in terms of being able again to uh, benchmark it and compare it to an OPAL assessment. So we we do believe there is um, some worth to this, um, particularly when you come to the, so what, what's going to happen. Um, In terms of what's going to happen, we are already talking to stakeholders. They are very much aware of what we're doing. um, And in particular, they've, they've been uh, one area in particular has been particularly um, keen, shall we say, to uh, look at the uh, data that we gather um, as a form of soft intelligence. So there's definitely some appetite out there. Um, and again, as as your LMC, we will keep your data confidential to us. We're not going to be releasing anything on an individual basis to anybody else Um if you do get in touch with us confidentially via the confidential email system that we've got set up that is in the email each week, we will talk to you if you need that help and support and deal with that on an individual basis, but not without obviously your permission with you contacting us separately. So I think that's worth saying. It is anonymous. We are here just to support you as practices and this stands alone from anything else. So that's all from me on, on GPAS. Um, and if anybody's got any questions, please do send them in. So um, GP Alert System, that's what it stands for. Sorry, yes, I'm too familiar with it now and yeah. started using the NAC. No, it's good. And I think the, so if people have to have a sort of late late to this um, late to this party and they want to join in and we had a comment, they haven't had the um, GPAS email. So if anybody thinks... I'm not sure I had that in. Is it best they contact you, Dawn, or contact me, and then you can resend it? Is that the best? Absolutely. You know, they can absolutely contact me. They can send it in through Office, however they find easy, and we can push out the email again. No problem at all. So, uh, a couple of comments. We haven't not not sure who the survey would have come from. So, will it come from Wessex LMCs or from yes. you as an individual or Helen Clark? No, it should have come from Office. From office, okay. So have a look for it from office. As I say, we're happy to send it again. And I guess, did it go to the practice manager or have people actually selected who they'd like to receive the emails, Dawn? 
If uh, there are some that have already been in contact prior to and said they wanted someone specific to receive it, if it, we haven't received one of those emails, we are sending them to all practice managers who obviously then in time might choose to um, delegate the task out as others have. So, yes, all practice managers or and or rather anybody that's already said, please send to this person. Perfect. So Marcus has said her, um, his came from Helen Clark. So maybe his apologies. So Helen and Dawn are working very closely together on this. And, and uh, so, yes, do, do email any one of us and we can forward it on to the right person and they can give you the information. But I'm glad there's so much interest. And um, yeah, this is going to be really exciting for us to try building up a little bit of a picture of what's happening in our area. And as soon as you've got something interesting to show you, we promise we will. Thank you, Dawn. That was really helpful. Um, I think you, I think we're still with you, Dawn, now. I think, um, Okay, Nikki, we've just got your email address. Thank you, we'll do that. Um, deceased patient records, I think we're coming back to you again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Louise. Yes, deceased patient, patient records. Um, there does seem to have been some mixed messages about this since the contract change at the beginning of the year when we were all told you wouldn't need to print off anymore. Um, sorry, my emails. You wouldn't need to print off any more deceased patient records and send um, a copy of those uh, records into PCSE within the Lloyd George. Um, and that actually that practices would then need to deal as a quid pro quo, practices would need to deal with all the requests that come in regarding deceased patient records. However, we did hear from various sources that some practices were told, no, you do still need to print the record out and send it in. So we've been in touch with NHS Digital. We've also been in touch with the BMA. And um, unfortunately, I don't bring good news at this point. So essentially, it seems that the systems aren't in place uh, to enable the contract change um, on the quid pro quo basis. Um, and as such, everything needs to remain as was before, i.e. you still need to print out the record and send to PCSE uh, when patient is uh, deceased. Um, and on that basis, PCSE will still need to process any access requests they receive directly. They won't be able to send them on to the practice at this stage as long as they obviously can deal with them. Having said all of that, the BMA did say that NHS England, are they are discussing with them literally as we speak, um, and there will be some communication regarding this very soon. And as soon as we have that, we will pass that on to you. But that's rather disappointing that I'm afraid at the moment practices are being asked to continue as was before the contract change. Thank you, Dawn. And this is why these social sessions are useful, isn't it? That actually we are able to share this information, even if it's, um, yes, as a comment has come in, it is disappointing, such a waste of time. Yes, we, all we can do is agree, Debbie. But, um, you know, hopefully in time, things will get better. We can just, we can always hope for that, can't we? Um, so, um, commenting, I've had a SARS request for a deceased patient. When I spoke to PCSE, they became very aggressive in the fact we'd not printed out the information to return it. I'm not sure we can, what we can say about that. Um, it's yes, it's obviously not quite not quite a sorted system at the moment, is it? Um, okay, I think that's all the main things we were going to talk about. We were just talking about in the office that we're very conscious that um, recruiting GPs is becoming just it seems seemingly even more difficult than it ever has been before. So we thought we might run quite a short webinar all about. Um, how to recruit GPs and what other things you might think of. So we might include how to become a training practice, um, trying to um, get a, a doctor in using the tier two visa and get into a sponsorship system set up, looking at GP fellowship, GP retainers, 
And we know virtual working for locums, and I've talked to some of you, and they just say it's actually difficult having a GP locum working virtually, but actually it's better than nothing, and some of you haven't, aren't quite sure how that might work. So we'll look at that too. Push doctor and also new to partnership. So we're gonna just, we just thought this morning we'll just put something together for you that might be helpful to give you some more ideas because we just know it's so difficult. Um, and actually it's difficult recruiting from all roles, I do know that. Um, but hopefully that will be useful for you going forward. So we'll just, we'll just yeah, get that set up. So going on to um, the records issue, is there a funding impact of the records if, issue, i.e. the contract funding factors in that we don't spend as much admin hours processing these requests. However, until this issue is resolved, this work would need to continue at the practice's expense. Yes, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Um, have any of you got any comments on that? I think it's a. I think that's a fair point, summary. Actually, I think when you look at when we've looked at this, when you look at the PCSE website, it appears they are still dealing with the AHRA requests, the Access to Health Records Act requests. So, in my mind, the process hasn't actually changed um, at all. So PCSE are potentially still doing theirs, and practices still need to do their bit. So, but I think I think that's quite a fair summary that it is at the expense of the practice currently. Yeah, so that's um, just difficult. So that's not something we can do about BMA. That's just how it is, isn't it? We are actually trying to get some guidance from the BMA because it is really quite messy with all of this, and there doesn't seem to be a clear date. And that's the bit we need to understand: how long are we going to have to wait for the systems to be in place? And we would hope it wouldn't be long because some of this, I think, overlaps with the suspended patient records. Um, process that's being put in place around scanning records and then sending them to practices, which is the element that needs to be put in place in relation to deceased patient records, particularly focusing on the Lloyd George. So, and we believe that the suspended patient records process is being implemented this month. I'm looking to Dawn, she's close to the detail. I think it is this month. So we're hopeful that it won't be too much longer, but we're, we're, clarif we're trying to clarify with the BMA. Lovely. Thank you, Michelle. Um, a completely different question in now. Could we develop a tick list for HCA seeing Ukrainian families for their initial health check? That's quite a specific ask. Um, I'm just looking and look to Dawn here because Dawn of the Aces of Public Health. Is this something that, and I know we've had questions about Ukraine and um, various different um, immunizations and vaccinations as this being covered. Do we have any, do we have anything we can share, Dawn, that might be helpful? I don't currently, but that's no reason to say that I can't go to public health and ask them if they have anything. Yes. So I'll take that away and uh, see if I can get anything on that. And please don't apologise, Debbie. That's what we're here for. And that's why we'd like doing a live webinar with you for you to ask the questions that you needed. So if, if we have access to somebody who can help you quickly, we are more than welcome to um, help you with that. So Lisa, I think you might have something to say on this one. Just say, I know there's something on the gov.uk website, which I'll, I'll put in the um, the the chat and then Dawn and I perhaps could have a look at it see if there's anything that's missing um, just let us know um, also I, I came across um, a GMS1 form that had been translated into Ukrainian um, last week and we have a Ukrainian doctor working in Wessex who offered to, ha to have a look at it and said that it's a good translation I think it's quite confusing um, if you're coming from Ukraine it's not designed for refugees but, but I, we can make that available as well um, as a resource if people want it I think anything like that would be really helpful. And I guess we can put that on our website, can't we? Um, which would be great. Thank you very much, Lisa. So we're going back to paper records. Um, we securely store our paper notes off-site as we have to due to lack of space. We get charged for monthly storage fee along with the new patient submissions and requests for notes back 
back charges. Is this something that has, can be reimbursed or is this at the cost of the surgery as it has amounted to, as has increased significantly over the last few years? And this sort of thing does build up, isn't it, if it's just an ongoing cost. Can, is there any sort of rates reimbursement, any sort of anything that it, anybody can claim back on storage of records? Michelle? I don't think so, but we need to look at that and just check. I so don't believe there is any reimbursement. So, And I, I think occasionally CCGs will help with the cost, but I don't think that's uniform or coordinated. So it sounds like it's worth asking a CCG, always worth asking. Um, but if we can find out any more information for you, Nikki, then we will certainly do that and get back to you. Sorry, Louise, I mentioned about the suspended patient records uh, and the new process coming in. It does look like it's expected in May. So that might mean that the deceased patient records moves more quickly than... Than we had thought okay so again watch this space we will come back and as we find out more we will share that with you um so it's half past one now there are no more questions coming in thank you um so much for joining us um it's been great to have your questions and great to have you with us so we're, we're back again on the 25th of may as i say with our new um medical director who's joined us ed rental so it'd be nice to have him with us and also we're having adam tuckett to talk about the opt-out process so um, online access to medical records and that sort of thing just it just goes on doesn't it so thank you very much everybody have a good week Take care and we will speak to you soon. Thank you. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice.